Well, I thank the, the men's choir for getting with the theme. That was awesome, wearing their sunglasses. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Nehemiah, uh, the, the second chapter. We started a series uh, last week. We're going to continue today. Uh, and I, let me just say, wow. Thank you for the way that you have welcomed Crystal and I. Let me introduce, some of you may not uh, know my wife and my children. Let me just introduce them to you briefly. This is Crystal. Maybe if you could stand. And this is uh, Caleb, our oldest son, and Jacob. So just so you can get to know them a little bit. But uh, we're coming to understand why this church, First Church, is such a dynamic church both in this community and in the Church of God movement. Uh, you are known uh, outside of outside of St. Joe, and, and I can understand, and we're beginning to understand uh, why that is. Well, last week we talked about Nehemiah, and we are, as you see, uh, beginning to build a wall here. Nehemiah was charged by God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall that surrounded the city that had been destroyed during an invasion that happened about 150 years before uh, this, this time of Nehemiah. Last week we talked about building God's visions, what we uh, started to kind of talk about together as a church. It's where we're going over the next few weeks. Building God's vision. Not our vision, not my vision, but building God's vision for First Church. And to understand that, building God's vision, last week we talked about the idea that when we build God's vision, we understand that God's vision involves fixing what is broken. That's what his vision is. And we talked about this community. We talked about our world, and there are many things that are broken both in this community and in our world that we need to be about fixing as we, again, accomplish God's vision together. So, as we look at this second chapter, we find ourselves uh, here again with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in the first chapter, he had gotten the news that this great city that he loved, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. The walls had been torn down. The temple had been destroyed. They had since rebuilt the temple, but the walls of Jerusalem, the city, was in ruins. And you see in the first chapter, and again, I would encourage you, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. I encourage you to bring your own. Turn with me to Nehemiah, the second chapter. It's in the Old Testament, uh, just before Psalms. Psalms is kind of in the middle, so it's just left of Psalms. Uh, so follow along uh, with me if you could. Nehemiah, the first chapter, the third verse, and this is the report that he got about the, the, the city that was in ruins. It said this, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now a city in Nehemiah's day, an ancient city, would have used the wall that surrounded the city as protection. A couple of photos that kind of give you maybe a little bit of a visual of what that would look like. A city that uh, had a wall around it protected it from invaders that might want to come uh, and invade it, would keep them out. And we see in this first chapter that Nehemiah gets the word that that wall that surrounded Jerusalem had been destroyed and it was still, uh, was, was still destroyed. And so he gets this word and he begins to fast. He begins to pray about, okay, if that's the situation, then God, what do you want me to do about it? God, these people that I love, as he begins to pray, the city that I love is in disgrace. These people that I love are vulnerable. They need your help. They, 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 they're living in disgrace. The city is in, in shambles. What, God, do you want to do? And then he began to pray, God, what do you want me to do? 
And as he began to talk to God about this situation, about the, 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 what was going on, God began to birth in his life a vision of what could be. Now he realized that if he was going to go back and be the one to rebuild these walls, that he was going to have to get permission because he was living in exile. Nehemiah was, was basically a captive. He was living in this foreign land and he worked for the king. So he was going to have to go get time off from his employer. Now you know how tough it is sometimes to go ask for that. Now, well, Nehemiah was going to go have to ask for permission to be released from his captivity to go back. Permission to rebuild a city that, uh, as we know our history, Artaxerxes' family, the Babylonians, had destroyed this same city 150 years before. So he's going to this guy that uh, the Babylonians obviously thought that it was enough of a threat that they destroyed it to begin with. And he's, well, you know that city that your you know, forefathers destroyed? Um, I was wondering if, quite possibly, maybe, if you wouldn't mind, could I go back and rebuild that city that your people, 150 years before, destroyed? Imagine that conversation. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate asking for stuff. I don't know if you like to go into your employer and ask for stuff, but uh, I hate asking for stuff personally. We were, Chris and I were at, at O'Charlie's a while back, and we were, we, I'd ordered this new chicken thing they had, and, and I ate a few bites of it, and it tasted kind of funny, but I, did, you know, I just kept eating, and the, the uh, waitress came back a couple times, I just kept eating it, and Crystal said, well, let me try a bite of it, and she tried a bite of it, and she said, David, how are you eating that? That tastes terrible. I'm like, well, it's, you know, actually it was like half cooked was the problem, and but anyway, uh, story for another time. I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't necessarily enjoy asking you know, in those kind of situations. There's a girl that when we were moving, uh, she was there at the house and, and we had bought this new vacuum cleaner and, and it, had broke, it, was, it was broken. And she asked us, was well, there anything that I could help you with? And they said, well, we got this broken vacuum cleaner and we really need to clean the house up before we move. Would you mind going, taking it back to Kohl's and, and, and here's the receipt. We didn't have the box. We'd thrown the box away. Well, this girl... When she goes out with her husband to eat, she has her husband ask the waitress for a refill on her, on her pop. So you can imagine her disdain at thinking about uh, going to Coles. And so she said, I must really love you guys to, to wheel in a, a vacuum cleaner into Coles with no box and take it back for you guys. Can you imagine what it was like for him to go to the king, to go to Artaxerxes, this 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 powerful ruler and to ask him, hey, will you let me off? Can you give me some time off to go rebuild what your people, again, 150 years before, had destroyed? Think about that situation. Here is Nehemiah. Nehemiah going to talk to the king. And the reality of the situation that Nehemiah finds himself is, is that God had impressed on him the need to rebuild the walls surrounding the city. God had, he was praying for his people and he was praying that, 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 that God would do something and then he began to realize, God, the thing that you want done is me to go. And what we find in this passage is an example of Nehemiah stepping up. Nehemiah deciding that, okay, God, if you want me to do it, then I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get this wall built. And so this morning, we're going to look at Nehemiah stepping up. And as we look at Nehemiah stepping up, the message for us, First Church, is that God wants us to step up as well. Step up to realize his vision for us as a group, to realize his vision for us as a church, both in this community and around our world. 
So let's read this text. Second chapter of Nehemiah. Let's read the first five verses together. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. This is Nehemiah talking. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah writes, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in, your, in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. So here is Nehemiah cupbearer to the king. Artaxerxes was the ruler of what was the superpower of their day. Leader of the nation, as we said before, that 150 years, years prior had totally decimated Judah, decimated Jerusalem, totally destroyed the temple. All of the city of Jerusalem had taken its people and most of its, leader, most of its leaders and many of its people had taken them into captivity into this foreign land and as, you know, just imagine the, the setting. This king who's, who's not used to people being upset or being sad in his presence. Usually he's used to people, and when they're in his presence, everybody's like, oh, you're the greatest king in the world. Oh, everything's great. The world's great because you're the ruler here. You know, that's the kind of attitude he's used to uh, having people uh, portray in, in his presence. Had all of the power, all of the authority to destroy Nehemiah if he wanted to take him out and have him beaten or flogged? or how, come, how could you come in my presence with this kind of attitude? There was fear that Nehemiah had as he comes into the king's presence. And so here, is, here he is, this displaced captive from this conquered land, going before the king, asking, King, will you help me? And it was not common, as we said, for, this, for him to have this sad disposition. But the king, things go well. And the king asked him, well, what is it that you want? And so here is this open door. He has this opportunity to talk to the king about the situation, about what God has laid on his heart. And imagine, Nehemiah says that he was gripped with fear. Imagine him then. He has this opportunity, but should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I say everything's really okay? And he walks through that open door. He steps up in this example that we have here. In verse 4, the king says to him, What is it that you want? Nehemiah pauses, prays. Notice, though, he doesn't say, Well, you know what, king? Yeah, I've got something on my heart, but, but uh, I'd like to share with you, but I really need to go and talk to my God about it a little longer. I really need to pray about it a little longer. Four months had passed since he had gotten the news that what was going on in Jerusalem to the time that he now is before the king with its open door. Notice that today is not the day for some big prayer meeting in this story. He, he gives a brief prayer. Okay, God, you got to be with me. Just that brief, breathes a prayer, and then he launches in to what the need is. Today was a day for Nehemiah of stepping up, of stepping out, of doing the work that he had been charged to do. And so what we see is Nehemiah this ordinary guy following this extended time of prayer and fasting. What we learned in chapter 1, four months worth, now is the time of action. 
and he stands up, and he walks through that door. He steps up. There's three things we see in this passage, real quick, that help us to see what he, how he stepped up and how we, again, first church, how we can step up as well. The first thing, think about Nehemiah, the situation that he finds himself in. Here he is living in the capital city of Jerusalem. Or of, of, uh, of, of, he's, he's away from Jerusalem in this capital city of this land that had conquered them. Living in the palace, serving the king, working in this power, the, the seat of power of this powerful nation. Has access to the powerful people living there in the palace. He's one of the individuals that worked for the king directly. He would have been taken care of. The king wouldn't have wanted somebody dressed shabbily in his court. He wouldn't have wanted somebody that looked malnourished in his court. He wanted the best serving with him. And so imagine uh, Nehemiah dressed like everybody else in the, in, the, in, the, in the court. Living like everybody else does in the court. Probably lived in the palace with, with everybody else. Eating the same kinds of food. And here he is and he hears about his homeland. This place that's in disgrace. Imagine him leaving where he was to go back to Jerusalem. When we look at that picture, and I look at these pictures of maybe cities that have been destroyed in the same way by war and what it looks like to live amongst ruins. Imagine that Nehemiah was going back to this place that had been destroyed. The walls had been torn down. It was so bad, in fact, that in verse 13, in chapter 2, look at verse 13, it says that he was riding a, a mount, a horse, or a donkey, whatever his mount was, and he has to get off of it because it, the, it's so bad that he has to walk because he can't get through because of all the rubble. And that's the city. And so imagine the setting. Imagine what he's leaving to go there, what he's giving up. Imagine the state of the infrastructure of the city, the state of, the, of the, the, the food and the water supply that would have been there in that city. Imagine the, the uh, sanitation or the lack thereof in that city that he was going to now live in and try to rebuild. And so what we see here, the first thing, is that we must, as Nehemiah, we must step up and leave what is comfortable and that was what Nehemiah did. He left what was comfortable. And so if we're going to realize God's vision for us as a church, what level of comfort, what are the things that we might personally, individually, and as a church have to get rid of? What are the things, how, are, how, we, how might we need to leave what is comfortable in order to realize God's vision? Well, quite possibly, you, this morning, pretty full in this service this morning, Last week in higher ground, we set chairs out. People are sitting all around the outside. This parking lot, as we add our third service back in, this parking lot's going to get a little crazy from what I understand. Now, I'm not used to that. Uh, we had a parking lot in, uh, in Middletown. We had about 600 people, five or 600 people in worship. We had about 475 parking spots. Parking was never an issue. I understand the parking lot gets a little crazy. And so so we walk, move out of our comfort zones, it might mean if we're going to reach people, we're going to accomplish God's vision, then we need to make this a welcoming place. It might mean that we have to park a little further out or down in a different street. What, what does it mean for us to, to be willing to leave what is comfortable? Maybe it means 
I know many of you are in life groups or small groups. And some of your groups have functioned for years together. And you, have, you, you meet at the perfect place in the perfect house. And, and you, got, you got that perfect host that fixes all those wonderful desserts. And it's just, all the people are just, they're easy to get along with, and they're easy to talk to, and, and you just feel so comfortable in that setting. And you think, well, God, what, what's your vision for our small group? Maybe your vision for your small group is for you to divide and to start two groups, because we have people that want to be a part of small groups that can't because there's not a group that's open that is ready to accept new people. So maybe what God is calling you to do is to break out of what is comfortable in your small group. Maybe to, to launch out in the unknown of, I wonder if the snacks are going to be as good in the new group as with the old group. Or maybe it's that God is birthing in you a vision to start one of your own. Where you could have a group of 10 or 12 people that are disconnected here at First Church. And you could help connect them here. So what is it? how could you break out of what is comfortable. Maybe instead of just coming to worship, which that's easy and that's comfortable, coming and worshiping and, and celebrating and shaking hands and high-fiving everybody and then going back home and going back to normal and letting everybody else do the work of, that it takes to make a service or make a ministry or whatever. Maybe God is make, asking you to break out of what is comfortable and asking you to step up and serve and begin to give and not just to receive how is God asking you to break out of what is comfortable? Maybe God is asking you to go. We just had a work camp, came back from Hungary. We're looking for another 25 or 30. Uh, is, uh, I think that's how many spots we have. Maybe God is birthing in you and calling you to step out of what is comfortable to go to a South American, the country of Paraguay, a very extremely poor country in South America, to go build a church that's going to seat hundreds of people that will have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe God really wants you to be involved in literally laying block and building a wall literally. What is it? How is God asking you? Because if we're listening, I think God is asking every single one of us to break out of what is comfortable to realize his vision here at First Church. Okay, I moved from Ohio to come here, okay? So if I can move from Ohio, surely you can talk to God about what he wants you to do to, and listen to him about what he wants you to do as you break out and leave what is comfortable to realize his vision at First Church. The second thing that I would just say to us as we look at Nehemiah, in order to step up, part of accomplishing his, God's vision, look at verse 2. And in verse 2, Nehemiah shares the emotion that's going on with him as he steps into the throne room of the king and as, he, as the king uh, uh, begins to address him, what does it say in verse 2? I was very much afraid. Imagine being in the throne room of the palace of the leader of the known world, Artaxerxes. Do a little research into the Babylonians. The Babylonians did not wrest power from the rest of the known world because of their great skill as politicians. They got their power because they were an extremely bloodthirsty, ruthless people. And here he stands before the ruler, Artaxerxes, with ultimate unlimited power at his disposal, asking him. You know how it is to ask your boss for a day off. <laughs> 
Here he is standing before Artaxerxes. And he's afraid, which was natural. Going in, asking him, can I, can I go rebuild the city that your forefathers destroyed 150 years ago? Can I do that? I'm sure there's also a level of fear thinking about what it would have taken to leave what he was comfortable with and go back to this, to this area that, again, had, that had been decimated by war, whose, the city that had, had been destroyed. There were people that did not want this city rebuilt. And we see that later when we, when we read about uh, the, the people that were against this rebuilding project. Imagine the fear of stepping out and, and trying to go back and trying to get this building project done. I mean, he doesn't know any, anybody. There's no record of Nehemiah being you know, a, a mason or, or, or knowing about what it takes to even build a wall. And yet God is calling him and he responds. There's a lot of things that he could have been potentially afraid of. And so if we are going to realize... God's vision and build God's vision together, we must as well overcome our fear. I don't know how many of you like amusement parks. They've got an awesome amusement park in southwest Ohio, Kings Island. Anybody been in Kings Island? It's an awesome amusement park. You've got some, some of these huge, it's kind of like Cedar Point. I think Cedar Point's not that awful far away from here. They've uh, got some great roller coasters. My boys have not been real keen on roller coasters. Uh, they've, up to this point, up to this year, really, uh, and I don't know, I didn't ask, is it okay if I talk to him about, you guys, about, I didn't ask him ahead of time, is it okay if we talk about roller coasters, is that all right? It's okay. All right, okay, I got the green light. They're afraid, they've always been afraid of roller coasters. Uh, this year, they, they went without, and I've always, you know, tried to gently and lovingly as a father would encourage them to ride roller coasters. What do you mean you're afraid? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but this year, they went with their friends, and there's nothing that motivates like shame. Uh, and so, so for the, this year, for the first time, they got on some of those roller coasters. They overcame their fears. We all fear stuff. Some of you, when you, if you were to think about getting up in front of a congregation like this and to stand and talk and, and to preach a message, it, you just cold chills, you just would, you know, you just, just hives would just break out on your body. The number one fear that people have is public speaking. So some of you might have a fear of getting up, you know, I could never teach a class, I could never lead a small group, I could, you know, I could never do that. And so you have that fear of speaking. Some of you have fear of large crowds and you're just working through that this morning. Uh, some of you have uh, fear, and there's all kinds of fears. Some of you have fear of, uh, fears in social settings of talking to people and, 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 and those are difficult things for you. Some of you fear being alone. Some of you fear failure. Some of you have a fear of, uh, you know, uh, things going on at your work and situations or there's people. And what do you think of when you think of things that you struggle with or things that you fear? Some of you fear sharing your faith. Fear of what people think of you. As we think about God and what he wants to accomplish through us and the vision that he has for us as First Church. What fears are getting in the way of you stepping up and realizing God's vision that he has for you? And what are the things, that, too, that we fear as a church? I think back when I was 29 years old and was praying about God, uh, I really felt that God was beginning to call me from youth ministry to be a pastor, a senior pastor. And at 29 years of age, to think about pastoring what for me was an extremely large church. I'd never been a part of a church at that point uh, that large. And to, to think about, uh, down in Middletown, 
pastoring that church. There was a lot of fear that went with different aspects of that that I could go into at some point in my own life. But I know that on the other side of that fear, when we break through that fear, when we trust God, when we step up on the other side, there's the promise that God has told us over and over throughout Scripture that I will be with you. There's a great Scripture that reminds us that anything God calls us to, that he will be with us through. Anything that he lays a vision for us to do, that he will be with us as we try to accomplish that vision. He will be with us. There's a passage in Isaiah 43. First three verses. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He will help you. He will provide for you. He told us, do not fear. I will be with you. What do you fear? What do we fear as a congregation? As we step up to God's vision, He will be with us. The final thing that I think is imperative, that we need to step up and accomplish in order to accomplish God's vision here at First Church, is we must take ownership of the need before us. We must take ownership of the need. Go back to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And in chapter 1, we see that Nehemiah was moved by this need that he hears. Moved to a place where his heart is broken and he weeps and he cries and he fasts and he prays about this, this need when he realizes it. The thing that separated Nehemiah from his contemporaries is that Nehemiah decided, as God put it on his heart, he decided to do something about this need that he realized. He took ownership of the need. There are untold numbers of people living just like Nehemiah, Serving probably in places of influence, just like Nehemiah. People that knew the situation, knew the state of affairs, knew that the walls were destroyed, knew that the walls were broken down. And I could imagine that people when, that didn't know, when they heard, like Nehemiah, they probably had a similar reaction. Their heart was probably broken, and they probably wept, and they probably cried, and they probably fasted, and they probably said, God, will you do something? Will you? And, and I'm sure as we think about our church, and we think about our community, and we think about our world, many, many, many of us, our heart is broken, and we pray, and we cry, and we fast, but there comes a time when we must, must, take ownership of the need that is before us and step up personally. And we must step up as a church. It's not enough to just know the need, be moved by the need, care about the need, pray about the need. There comes a time when we must take ownership of the need and that's what we see here. I'm excited to be a part of a church that gets this. Last week, I sat in a home and at a dinner with Joseph, our staff missionary, to Hungary. And as we sat there hearing the, those stories, and then I began to hear the stories of other things that were going on. We began to talk about this trip to Paraguay. And, and I saw the plans for the, the church building. And then I, and, and I began to understand, 
we're not putting it, our church, this is us, this is us. We're not just slapping some paint on a wall. We're not just, just adding a little addition onto the back of the church. Friends, do you realize that we are going to Paraguay and building a church? I didn't get that memo. I didn't know that. And then I heard that if I got the, my numbers correct, that this is the third church that we've built. Again, we're not talking about putting some paint on a building or, or, or adding a little addition. We're talking about going down and from a slab, taking a slab and building a church. You guys understand. You've taken ownership of the need. What a great heart. I'm excited to be a, a part of a church that gets it. And what would happen, church, if every single one of us here at First Church began to own the need that is here in our community and in our world? What if we began to own that and began to ask God, God, okay, I've prayed about it, I've fasted, I, my heart is broken. When I think about whatever God's burdening you with, whatever part of our world breaks your heart when you hear about what's going on, whatever breaks you, and then to say to him, okay, what do you want me to do about it? And then to begin to own that. And I would just say that I think some of the greatest, and I know some of the greatest uh, uh, ministries of this church are yet to begin. The, some of the greatest ministries of this church will be birthed not from my office, but from the pews. And that excites me. And I've already talked to a few of you about some of those things that God is doing in your hearts and birthing in your hearts of what could be as you begin to realize his vision for you personally. Let me give you some practical ways as we think about the need for all of us to step up. And that's this. First thing that we need to do, practical steps, ways to step up. The first is we need to engage relationally. This, these are things that we can all do. The first is to engage relationally. And that means we need to make this place when people come here to First Church that we are absolutely totally accepting. No matter what walks through the doors of this church, no matter who walks through the doors of this church, we must absolutely totally accept them as they are and love them enough to pray that God would help them to become more than they are right now. So whoever walks through, we love them, we welcome them and pray for them and try to reach them with a wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means that we need to engage. That means when we see somebody we don't know, we'll talk to them. That means when we see somebody we don't like, we'll talk to them and we'll reach out to them. We must engage relationally. We must be part of the solution to make this a wonderful church family. And I tell you what, I have been so welcomed and so have felt just so apart already, me and my family. And so if you are doing that to everybody, man, that's what our world is looking for. So what can we all do to step up? We can all engage relationally. And what that also means is that we need to engage relationally and get involved beyond just coming to a worship service. 
That means get involved in a small group, in, in a, one of our life groups. Get involved in a Sunday school class. There's a Sunday school class that meets after this, this hour. There, get involved there. Get involved in a, in the, you just saw this huge packet of all these places that you could get engaged to grow in your faith, that, uh, the, that brochure that's there this morning. And a real simple thing that it would help me tremendously is if you just all get your picture taken for the picture directory so I can learn your name. Um, that would help me. So engage. What are things you can do, big and small, that you can engage relationally here at First Church? The second thing, a practical way to step up, is to pray and fast. Let's commit together, church, to pray and to fast, to begin to seek God's face. What do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And if you've never fasted before, fasting is just basically doing without something for a period of time so you can really focus on God. Now, most of the time, that's food. If you can't do that, maybe you're diabetic, if you have some issue, then fast something else. But let's pray and fast. Jesus said some things can only be accomplished through prayer and fasting. So let's begin. We can all do that. We can all pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want my church to do? What's the vision that you have for us? The third thing, the way that we can step up, church, is to give our support. And I would ask for that week two here as your new pastor that you would give me your support. There are some things that, that we're going to need to do differently in order to reach people for Christ. We're going to try to try to do things that, 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 that help people that are outside the walls of the church to, to be welcomed. And so it may mean some changes. We're talking right now of adding that third worship service back in. We need to do that. And so that may mean we need to modify some things. And so I need your support. We need your support as, as leadership. Get behind what we're doing encourage you to continue to give your support financially. We need that in order, again, to reach this community and reach our world for Christ. And I, I have already found out pretty quickly that we've got some folks that are going to make sure that every dollar is spent wisely, okay? Um, so I, I can assure you that we will take what you give and we will spend it wisely for God's kingdom. So we need your support. We need your support uh, again, the first of, let me just give you a little more of the plan. The first of October is when we're thinking about going back to a third worship service. As we do that, we're going to try to advertise that to the community, and we're going to do a series of messages on Sunday morning that, in that month of October that would make it easy for you to reach out and say to your friend or family or neighbor, whatever, why don't you come with me to church? We're doing this, and I'm going to share with you what it is that we're going to be going through. There'll be plenty of meat for the, for the Christian, but also something that someone outside of the, that circle of God's love that could be invited in and realize how much God cares for them and how much God loves them. And if we're going to step up, again, we must care about the fact that 47% of this county does not have a church home and even more than that, probably don't know Christ personally. We need to care about that. And so we're going to do some things about that. So we need your support to do that. And the last thing that I would share with you, thinking about what can you do practically to step up, is, friend, you need to serve. All of us need to find our place of service and become engaged. This week, as I sat in staff meeting, we talked about some of the needs of our congregation in the 11 o'clock worship hour, which is during the higher ground service, so you've just worshiped, there are children's ministries that have huge holes. We need people that will work with children in the 11 o'clock hour. Some of you could step up today. There's a table in the lobby. You can go after this and talk to those folks. There's people that, uh, 
there's, well, there's places where you, to, to just kind of hang out with kids. There's places where you can help teach kids. There's, there, they need greeters. They need people to check kids in. They probably need people even that don't like kids. They've got a place for you, okay? So whether you like kids or not, what is God saying to you? There's a place to serve. Again, is it 25 or so spots in this Paraguay or can? There's a spot for you. Again, you say, well, you know, I can't teach. I don't like to be around people. Uh, you know, whatever it is. You know, well, do you like to lay block? You got a strong back? We're going to lay some block. You can go to Paraguay. You don't have to talk to anybody. Everybody speaks a different language. <laughs> but you can lay some block. What is God calling you to do? How can we step up? We all need to find our place to serve. And friend, it does not have to be within the walls of the church. What is a community agency? What's a group, a nonprofit in this community? What's a, a Tammy, could you use some people overseas? Okay, what, you know, there's, there's, there's a place for you. It doesn't have to be right here. But we need to begin to engage God. God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? Let's look, final thing. 18th verse of this chapter, second chapter, and I'm done. Look at what Nehemiah, he shares the vision of what could be with the people. He gathered them in, they shared the vision, and this is what they replied. The people's reply back to Nehemiah, they said this to Nehemiah, let us start rebuilding so they began this good work. If we are going to realize the vision that God has for First Church, it will not be when the staff or when advisory council or when, you know, when they begin to do the good work. It is when we begin to do the good work together. Will you join me in doing the work that God has for us? It's time to step up. Let's pray. If you stand as we pray. Father, thank you. God, for what you are birthing in us, the vision that you are giving us. And Father, as we sing this song of response, we are saying to you, God, we want as individuals and as a church to step up, to, to grab hold of the vision that you have for us as a church. God, there are people outside the walls of this church, outside the walls of, uh, of, of, of the body of Christ around this world that need a church, first church, that is engaged. And Father, you are calling us to walk outside of our comfort zones, to walk outside of our fears, to find our place, to listen to you, to respond and to say to you, yes, let us start building together. God, I know the future is bright. We look forward to what you are doing in us. And now we respond personally as we sing. In Christ's name, amen. As we sing this song of response, may it be your prayer to God that, God, I'm going to step up. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go where you want me to go as we sing. Oh, God. With us for the very first time, I want to just say to you as you leave, uh, straight in the back as you uh, almost get to the gym, to the right is a little room. We'd love to, to meet you there. There's a gift waiting for you. Uh, we're just delighted to have you here if you're here with us for the very first time. Also, if you'd like to take communion this morning in the uh, prayer chapel, they're serving communion as a church body in a couple weeks. We'll be doing that together. But this morning, if you'd like to take communion, you're welcome to do that. Why don't we stand as we're dismissed, I think, with a... 
with a song. Father, thank you for just a chance to be here in your presence today. And God, as we leave now, we go to our mission field. Help us to step up and realize the vision that you have for us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you.